So let's just walk together through verses nine, chapter nine, verses 13 to 35. In the progression of this narrative where Jake started us off reading, the seventh plague is highlighted in the text because it is longer than every other plague that has come behind it. The content of its description is more detailed than every other plague that came behind it. The extended section of the Lord's words specifically to Pharaoh is particularly significant. It's the first and the only time thus far in all of the plagues that the Lord explicitly explains His power to Pharaoh directly. He explains specifically the purpose of the plagues. And so it's also for the first time He offers Pharaoh a way to avoid the plagues. We saw in verses 18 and 19, God still gives Pharaoh a way out. Every time this phrase keeps showing up, Pharaoh hardened his heart, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, what we're being reminded of is two things that might seem to be in tension with one another, but they go together hand in hand perfectly. You see, God is completely sovereign. He's the king, and whatever he says goes. But see, Pharaoh still has his own choices. Pharaoh still has responsibility for what he does. And God gives Pharaoh an escape hatch. He says, this is the way. If you will repent and recognize and let the people go. How will we know that Pharaoh has repented? How will we know that he has submitted to the Lord? He will let the people go. You see, even in this description, repentance doesn't just mean a belief or a confession. There's action that follows it. We explain it in Vacation Bible School all the time as you're going one way and you repent, which means you turn and begin to go the opposite direction. It means that your want-tos change. It means that there are actions that follow your repentance. That you don't just say, I believe and and yes, I, I trust in the Lord, but it alters your life. You will know and I will know that Pharaoh has repented if he lets The people go and acknowledges that the Lord is God. And in this section, we have more references to so that you may know that I am the Lord than all the other plagues thus far. Over and over again, God is proving he is superior. He is the one and only true living God. He wants Pharaoh to see it. He wants the Egyptians to see it. And it's amazing in the story with the hail, there were people in Egypt, who responded and brought their livestock inside. Did you catch that? Among Pharaoh's servants, there were those who believed in the Lord. They trusted and repented because when Moses said the hail is coming, if you don't have your animals inside, then there will be death and destruction for all that you own. And so the people of Egypt, there were those that listened. And once again, God provides a way of escape In the midst of this plague, that's the first time all the other plagues, it just happens, right? And so in the last three plagues, we looked at how the land of Goshen and the Israelites were separated. But now the separation goes a step further. It's not just that the Lord is protecting the Israelites and the land of Goshen, but even the people of Israel and the people of Egypt now both have a way to respond and show that they trust that the Lord is God. How will you know that they trust the Lord is God? Well, anybody that's dumb enough to leave their animals out in the field, well, their animals are going to die 
Anybody that's dumb enough to let their herdsmen stay out there in the field with their animals, they're going to die. It said everything that was already blooming and, and in seed and sprouted, it died. The hail wiped out everything. I mean, we're talking about not just little golf ball size hail. We're talking chunks of ice that they've never seen before, that had never occurred before. And there's also storms that go with it. This text alludes to us that it's similar to when we experience hail. You know how sometimes there will be a hailstorm as the tornado comes and there's all those meteorological explanations, and I looked some of them up this week, and I just want you to know they're over my head. Sometimes it hails before it to- there's a tornado, and that's all I know to tell you, all right? I'm, I don't, I'm not going to try and break down the meteorology of it, but just, you know, that happens, all right? The same thing is happening in Egypt. There's storms, there's rains, there's torrential downpours, there's typhoon-type winds, hurricane-type winds, and hail that is falling and killing everything in the land. So how do you know who trusts in the Lord. Well, they repented. How do you know that they repented and believed in the Lord? Because they brought their animals and their children and their livestock and their family inside. If these chunks of ice were big enough to kill somebody and kill your animals, it was big enough to bust through your roof and bust through and make a huge amount of damage. But God's hand of mercy, God's hand of grace was over those who were smart enough to bring their stuff their people, their animals, their belongings inside under shelter. God protected them. But again, God's in control, but there's a response that's necessary. There's responsibility for actions that humans take. So if you leave your stuff outside, it's your fault that your stuff got messed up. If you bring your stuff inside, God's going to protect it. So the hail falls. And then we get this interesting This interesting thing in verse 27, chapter 9, verse 27, look look at it with me. Pharaoh gives some kind of qualified, yeah, this time. This one time I I sinned. Ask the Lord to forgive me, Moses. I I sinned this this one time. This time. All the other times I've been right. All the other times I've been correct. But this time I sinned. This is where it becomes significant that we looked at those Hebrew words. And remember the word that it uses for every time Pharaoh hardens his own heart is that word that means to make heavy. It's that word that means to make his heart like stone. It's that word that would have communicated to all the people in the land of Egypt that even by their mythology, Pharaoh was sinning every single plague. So it's, it's feigned repentance. It's fake repentance. It's not sincere repentance. And it's, it's typical of Pharaoh from this point on. Everything we read in chapter 10, he continues to say, okay, okay, all right, this time I'm sorry. Uh, you know what? Okay, all right, you guys can go and worship the Lord, but then you're going to come back. But uh, who you want to take with you? You, you want to take everybody? No, get out of here. Then you, they come back. Okay, you can take the men. No, we're going to take the kids. And we're going to take the livestock. No, no chance. Get out of here. Then they come back and he says, all right, you can go and you can take the men and you can take the kids and you can take all the people. But you got to leave your animals here. There's always a qualification. There's always a caveat. There's always a disclaimer. It's never full on repentance. It's fake. Pharaoh's just putting on a show because he wants the hail to stop. Pharaoh's just putting on a show because he wants the locusts to go away. Pharaoh just puts on a show because he wants it to be light again. And he's embarrassed that he is the son of the sun god, according to Egyptian mythology, and he can't bring back the light. And before we start wagging our finger at Pharaoh and saying, what a moron, right? 
Before we start looking at Pharaoh and going, how foolish can one person be? I want us to remember that biblical characters are not models for morality. We don't look at this story and go, look at Pharaoh. He done bad. We don't do like Pharaoh. Look at Moses. He done good. We do like Moses. That oversimplifies what God is teaching us here. You don't look at Scripture. I can't look at Scripture and see biblical characters simply as a flat, two-dimensional model for what is good and what is bad. That's a good place to start, but God calls us to go deeper than that because He gives us these characters in all of their flaws, in all of their discrepancies, in all of their sins, in all of their problems, as they are, they are portrayed to us so that we might see a mirror and be able to identify with Pharaoh. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm Pharaoh a lot of times. I'm Pharaoh a lot of times. Man, Lord, I sinned this one time. You know, I, I really messed up this one time. And man, God, I'm, I'm reaping some really serious consequences for my sin. I am so, so sorry. Will you please forgive me, Lord, and just take this away from me. Just help me out of this situation. If you'll just get me out of this jam, Lord, I promise I'm going to devote my whole life to you. I'm going to strike this deal with you. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be awesome. And then the Lord delivers us. And then what do we do? We go right back to the way things were. Was it, was it real repentance? Or were we being like Pharaoh? Moses, I was wrong. Just take the hail away. Just take the hail away. As soon as it stops, well, you know, it really ain't so bad. I mean, there's still some crops left. You realize that's what Pharaoh said. He looks around and he goes, well, well there's still some things that hadn't. That's why it points out that there were things that hadn't budded yet. Oh, there's still some stuff that hadn't quite, you know, come to harvest. We'll still be okay. And he goes, ah, I don't need the Lord. I don't need any of that stuff. That's not for me. I'm, I'm Pharaoh. I'm good. Nobody can touch me. I'm all right. I got this. And, and slowly, even the magicians, you remember, they came to him, the high priest. They said, this is the finger of God. Now his servants are coming to him in chapter 10 and they're saying, do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? And so once again, he gives a fake repentance. And, and it's, it's not like the Lord doesn't know. Don't, don't read this and think that when we do that, or that when Pharaoh does that, that we're pulling a fast one on the Lord. Hey, Lord, look over there. Woo, you don't see me over here. Lord ain't tricked like that. But he allows it. So that we might learn, so that we might grow, so that Egypt might know who the Lord is, and who the Lord is not. And Pharaoh is not the Lord. And the stop only happens when Moses cries out. Folks, that's us in our life. How many times is there a crisis that comes up and you go to somebody that you think is holy or righteous or godly in some way and you beg them to pray for you as well? And now you and this person that you consider to be holy or righteous are both pleading with the Lord. And as soon as you get reprieved, as soon as there is an ease of the tension or the consequences get less, you think, whew, dodged a bullet there. Man, I'm all right. And then you, you don't talk to that person again, and you don't talk to that person again, and you don't talk to that person again. All of a sudden, another crisis comes up. Boy, you go running back to whoever it is that you think is righteous. Look, I, I'm not anybody special, but that's, that's par for the course of being a pastor. Some people that don't ever talk to me ever. When there's a crisis in their life, 
They think that I have some special status with the Lord that I don't have. They think that I have communication with the Lord that is not accessible to everybody. But it is. Everybody can just go straight to the Lord. And they come to preacher, will you pray for me? Pastor, will you pray for me? You don't understand. I'm just not going to make it. Things are just so terrible. And then we pray for them. And, and things, you know, God's miraculous and merciful sometimes and gracious. And then where do they go? Who knows? Until the next crisis comes up. This happens to Sunday school teachers. This happens to deacons. This happens to people who are not in leadership in the church at all, but are known in the community as godly men and women. And we seek them out and we beg for their help. We go to them as our Moses and we say, Moses, plead to the Lord on our behalf that the plague might stop. And as soon as God delivers us, we don't give him two thoughts. Folks, I'm not saying that to try and wag a finger at you. I've done that in my life. I've done it over and over again. Everyone is susceptible to this. But we have to understand that is fake repentance. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to get us there. Real repentance is about saying, Lord, I can't do it and I need you every day when it's good. Folks, things are good at the church right now. God has been overwhelmingly gracious and blessed us. People have given financially and, and, and the budget has been met even when there are other churches that aren't meeting budget and are having to think about closing their doors or what to do. There's ministry that is going forward even as other churches are not able to do that. There are people who are joining this church because they feel and see God's Spirit at work. Man, there are people that want to be baptized. There are people who are trusting in Jesus this is a wonderful season in the life of our church, even in the midst of a terrible economic situation, even in the midst of family members and church members coming down with COVID, getting really sick. Some people that are in the ICU right now fighting for their life because they, they got pneumonia that developed out of COVID or, or, or whatever else is going on. People all throughout our church fighting cancer. But God has still been good and our repentance needs to be the same now in a good season, even in the midst of the storm, as when things are not so good. Because let me tell you, I, I know for a fact there's a lot of those same churches where those people are on their knees, pleading with God, begging for God to move among them and forgive them and restore them, asking for His presence, seeking His face wholeheartedly. But I worry that sometimes when things are good for us, we don't do that. We seek God the way that Pharaoh seeks God when things are good. And, and I know things aren't good for everybody, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sound arrogant. I'm not trying to brag. But it's the cycle of our lives. It's like a roller coaster. When you're on top of the mountain and everything's great, you don't seek God's face. I don't seek God's face the same way that I do in the valley, and Scripture enforces with, for us with story after story, historical example after historical example of people who have to be taken to the valley so that they will seek God's face. When do we cry out to the Lord more fervently than when we are in the midst of the deepest, darkest night? And Pharaoh is in the midst of some darkness, so he cries out to the Lord. Even Pharaoh. Even 
Pharaoh. Did you catch how the Lord doubled down on their darkness? It's pretty interesting. In chapter 10, the darkness is on the land because there's so many locusts. So the land is dark, but above the land it's bright. It's like all of the surface of the ground went from being green to being black because everywhere you looked there was a locust. But people could still see one another. And the Lord said, let me just offer up another kind of darkness. And he turned the lights out and there were no windows. And I'm telling you, it was a darkness. I love that verse. It says, it was a darkness to be felt. I want you to imagine when you go to a concert, right? And the bass it, from the from the guy up there, doop, 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 doop. The bass is you feel it pounding in your chest, and you feel the music. If there's drums going, you can feel the music in your chest. You know that there is music pumping because it's kind of pumping through you. That's how dark this darkness was. You could feel it in your soul. And there's significance that how long did the darkness last? For three days. Don't miss that it went dark while Jesus was on the cross for three hours. Don't miss that Jesus was in the tomb in darkness. There was no hope of life. There was only death and darkness had swallowed up the world because Satan thought that he had won for three days. And then the Lord turns the lights back on in Egypt. And then the Lord turns the lights back on for all of creation by raising His own Son from the dead so that the life burst forth out of the tomb. And there is no longer any more darkness because we can walk in the light. But it requires genuine repentance. It requires us seeking God out on the mountains and in the valleys wholeheartedly. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. We always look at Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Everybody's all all focused on. We got it hanging in our house most of the time. Nothing wrong with that. But we miss the next few verses which are absolutely essential. Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and heal you and restore your land. Plans for a hope and a future. It's great. Woo! Love Jeremiah 29 11. But don't miss Jeremiah 29 Not just 11, but 12 and 13. Then, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you, says the Lord. You will seek me and you will find me. But there's a caveat. Much like Pharaoh's caveats, the Lord offers a caveat to us. You will seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all your Heart. And folks, if I'm being honest with you, I think there's way too many times in my life where I am half-heartedly seeking the Lord. Because everything seems to be going okay. Maybe I don't really have to focus so hard on the Lord because, man, stuff's good right now, right? And then God has to bring me to the valley so that then I will seek Him wholeheartedly. Repentance is not about half-heartedly seeking out the Lord. And repentance is essential. Listen, it's not just in Exodus. I want you to hear these verses. They're not on the screen. But there is a list of verses I'm going to run you through about over and over again where Christ commands in the New Testament for us to repent wholeheartedly and seek Him. Matthew chapter 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8, 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach. And in Jesus' preaching, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 11, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He denounced the cities where the most miracles had been done because they saw the work of God and they did not repent. Church, if we are not in danger of that today, I don't know what else is true. We are seeing the mighty, miraculous work of God among us and we have to repent and continue to wholeheartedly seek the Lord. Mark chapter 6, so they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. Luke chapter 11, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn this generation. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Luke 13, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 15, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Acts chapter 8, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if it possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Acts chapter 11, when they heard these things they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Acts chapter 17 verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Folks, we read some stories about some plagues and they tie to coronavirus and all the crazy things going on in the world these days. And we might think, hey, that's great. Pharaoh really should have repented. But I want you to know this morning when you and I see Pharaoh, the same call for repentance that God put on Pharaoh. If you will repent, chapter 9, verses 16, 17 and 18, there was a way of escape. Folks, the same thing is true for you and for me today. If we will repent, it will lead to forgiveness. It will lead to righteousness. And not this half-hearted repentance where we go, Ah, save me! I'm in trouble again, Lord, help! But where we go, God, I don't care what happens. I don't care how good it is or bad. I need you. I want to be different. I want to look like you. I want to live like you. Folks, how does repentance look in your life today? Have you been half-heartedly repenting? Have you ever repented? Is, is things, are things going really good for you right now? You're on the mountaintop. So maybe your, your spiritual meter's a little low because eh, everything seems to be all right. Are you in the middle of the valley in the darkness crying out for the Lord? Begging for His forgiveness. Begging for Him to give you some relief. 
Folks, there's a guarantee that we read. If we seek the Lord, we will find Him when we seek Him with our whole heart. Without this little halfway repentance like Pharaoh. So this morning, you want to find God? Wholeheartedly seek Him. Fully repent and submit to the Lord being the master of your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Lord, thank you that there's a way of escape. That there is a punishment and a wrath that we deserve. But Lord, you provided a way for us to escape the coming wrath. For us to believe in Jesus, repent of our sins, and follow hard after you. Lord, this is something that we can do at every age, at every stage of life, whether we're on the mountains or in the valley. Father, help us this morning to be willing to be different from Pharaoh. To be willing to humble ourselves before you. To be willing to wholeheartedly seek you. And wholeheartedly repent and turn to you. Give our lives over to your control so that we might walk with you every day. Father, I know that there are those who are hurting here today. I pray that you would comfort them and give them strength. Lord, I know that there are those of us here today who need to repent. And Lord, I know that there are those of us here today walking hand in hand with you. Regardless of where we are, regardless of the condition of our heart. Spirit, would you move upon us and draw us close to you? We love you, Lord. Help us, God, to seek you wholeheartedly. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.